Today we got a topic for you that uh, me and my amazing, wonderful co-host, Teresa from the Spiritual Gangster Show, uh, will be covering together. And uh, that, you know, as you can see, we've been doing that a little bit more often lately, and it is something that I hope to keep doing uh, going forward. Um, I would like to just throw out a disclaimer too, even before I introduce Teresa, in case you have no idea who she is. I do want to uh, at least put out the disclaimer that honestly, uh, even considering some of the stuff I have covered, even with that last serial killer that I had covered, um, I do want to make the disclaimer that this may be actually some of the worst stuff that I have covered and that she's probably ever covered ourselves. Uh, so I do want to make that disclaimer. If you do not want to hear some you know, rather gruesome and terrifying stuff in a sense, this episode may not be for you, but... You know, we will come across some pretty gross, horrible things that, you know, has happened in humanity. So, with that disclaimer said, you can shut it off now or you can continue listening. Uh, and with that said, uh, going forward now, uh, I guess I'll introduce Teresa. In case people don't know who she is, what is up, Teresa? Thank you very much for even covering this topic with me. And let everybody know who you are and uh, what you're about and where they can find your stuff as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be back on covering another crazy topic with you. Um, yeah. yeah, researching is like one of probably our favorite things to do. So like no matter the subject matter, it's interesting to us. Um, but yeah, it's good you made that disclaimer, I think, in the beginning, because some of the subject matter moving forward is disturbing, to say the least. And like, I don't disturb easily. But in some of the research, I was, like, very appalled at what I read. So mm. there's that. Um, having said that, I'm Teresa. <laughs> and, yeah, I uh, also have another great show with you called The Spiritual Gangsters, um, which is very different than this. It's more about, like, personal stories, things we find of interest of a spiritual nature. Um, so, yeah, it's a good time, and I encourage people to check it out if they have not on of course all the major podcast platforms youtube and rumble yes yes definitely mm -hmm. check those out and uh definitely hit up that rumble because there will be things that uh, we may cover a guest that we may have on that is not youtube friendly and yes. the rumble also does you know have lives now for uh people who don't pay so we can go live more often so i would definitely suggest hitting that uh, follow on rumble if you have that you know if you use that app mm-hmm and uh, I guess, uh, you know, getting into it, one of the other reasons, you know, I'm, I'm making this disclaimer about horrible this, you know, this is, and people might be like, well, why are you covering it? <laughs> um, part of it actually really is, or a huge part of it is, is that, you know, during this time that we're going to be covering, uh, we were, you know, very much pointed in one direction to look at the horrors that were being done in Germany. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, none of these horrors that we were really seeing going on over there too publicized and um i guess one of the reasons why and then we'll get into it as well near closer to the end just like with germany we brought nazis over here and gave them a free pass because of the research they were doing same thing happened with these scientists we gave them a pass for the research to give us the research that they were doing 
And Russia gave them a pass as well. So that's mm-hmm. kind of some of the reasons why I want to cover this, because like this is stuff that our country has basically co-signed, and other countries have co-signed. And it's pretty horrific, horrible shit, in my opinion, that almost make the Nazis look you know, just as the same, or not as bad, actually. You know, it's, it's a fine line, but they're, to me, both horrific, horrible shit. Yeah, I just find it interesting that, like, the Nazis just get this, like, bad rap for everything that happened in World War II, and it's, it, it, that's true, they did do a oh, lot of horrifying yeah. things, but there's also, you know, this whole Japanese issue, and there's, it's not exclusive to one group of people, for sure. you know, the horrors throughout history, so... Yeah. Something to keep in mind moving forward. So history does not repeat. Yes, perhaps. exactly. And it's, uh, I guess, kind of just to like show you what uh, governments are willing to do for information. Right. Yeah. So I guess uh, I'll get us into it. Um, just a little bit of, a, I guess, basic uh, informational background on uh, Unit 731. And then we'll get into more uh, detailed stuff. Uh, Unit 731 is short for uh, Manchu Detachment 731, and also known as uh, Camo Detachment, and uh, the Ishi Unit. It has a bunch of different names. And it was a covert biological and chemical warfare and uh, warfare research and development unit of the Imperial Japanese Army that engaged in lethal human experimentation and biological weapons manufacturing during the second Sino or however you say that Japanese war from 1937 mm-hmm. to 1945 in World War II. The unit is estimated to have killed between 200 and 300,000 people. It was based in the Pingfang district of Harbin. I'm sure I'm butchering these names, but bear with me. The largest city in the Japanese puppet state of Manchu uh, Kuo, or whatever. Unit 731 was responsible for some of the most notorious war crimes committed by the Japanese armed forces. It routinely conducted tests on people who were dehumanized and internally referred to as logs. They didn't even call people humans. They called them logs. Right. Experiments included disease injections, controlled dehydration, biological weapons testing, vivisection, amputation, and standard weapons testings. Victims uh, included not only kidnapped men and women, and pregnant women, and children, but also babies born from the systemic rape perpetrated by the staff inside the compound. So you had people there raping impregnating, and then studying the children. That's fucking insane. Yeah. The victims came from different nationalities, with the majority being Chinese and a significant minority being Russian. Additionally, 731 produced biological weapons that were used in areas of China not occupied by Japanese forces, which included Chinese cities and towns, uh, Chinese cities, towns, water sources, and fields. It was officially known as the epidemic. I love this name that they gave it because, like, if somebody was to build this building a mile away from me and I drove past it, I would probably not think much of it at all. But it was officially known as the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department. <laughs> water okay. purification. 
originally set up by the military police of the Empire of Japan. Unit uh, 731 was taken over and commanded until the end of the war by General Shiro Ishii, a combat medic officer in the Kwantung Army. The facility itself was built in 1935 as a replacement for the Zangma Fortress, and Ishii and his team used it to expand their capabilities. The program received generous support from the Japanese government until the end of the war in 1945. Unit 731 and other units of the Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department operated biological weapons production, testing, deployment, and storage facilities. Researchers arrested by Soviet forces were tried at the December 1949, I don't even know how to pronounce this, Khabarovsk war crime trials. Um, and they were captured by the United States and were also secretly given immunity in exchange for the data gathered during their human experiments. The United States covered up the human er, uh, expect uh, the human expert. <laughs> <laughs> the United States covered up the human experimentations and handed stipends to the perpetrators. The Americans co-opted the researchers' bioweapons information and experience for use in their own biological warfare program, much like what had been done with Nazi, you know, Germany in the Operation Paperclip. Same thing. We gave them carte blanche for their research, and we gave the same thing to these sick fuckers. So, very, I don't know. Uh, real quick, I will go over uh, the Zongmo Fortress. Um, Unit Togo was sent into motion in the Zongmo Fortress, a prison and an ex experimentation camp uh, in Behind. It could be some, I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. A village that's about 100 kilometers south of Harbin on the South Manchuria Railway. The prisoners uh, brought to Zongma included common criminals, captured bandits, anti-Japanese partisans, as well as political prisoners and people rounded up on the trumped-up charges by Kempatea. Not even sure who that is. Prisoners were... <laughs> this is crazy. Prisoners were generally, generally well-fed on a diet of rice or wheat meat and fish, and occasionally even alcohol in order to be in normal health at the beginning of the experiments. So you could have actually have been brought into this thing, think like, oh, this isn't that bad. I'm actually, you know, they're feeding me well. They're, fuck, they even mm -hmm. gave me a drink. This can't be that bad. And before you know it, you know, they're fucking they're trying to freeze you or cutting your fucking body parts off. Yeah. Fucking sick. Talk about like a mind fuck with that. Yeah. Uh, to normal health at the beginning of the experience. Then over several days, prisoners were eventually drained of blood and deprived of nutrients and water. Their deteriorating health was recorded. Some were also vivisected. Others were de deliberately infected with plague bacteria and microbes. A prison break in the autumn of 1934, which jeopardized the, the facility's secrecy, and an explosion in 1935 led to Ishii to shut down the Zogma Fortress. So, you know, there's supposedly because of a prison break and this other mm. thing, it was shut down. Uh, yeah. So that's just like a little bit, you know, a little bit of background information before we really start getting into what they were doing. Yeah. So, I don't know if you want to go into what you have now, Teresa. Sure. So I just kind of wanted to set the stage a little bit because I think 
people probably have a good idea of like general Nazi ideology and the racism involved, you know, against the Jewish people, um, obviously perpetrated by Hitler and his forces. And we're used to like, well, us here in North America, you and I are both in North America, but we're used to a very westernized idea of racism. So based on skin color usually, or like physical features, you know, where like one group is like dehumanized or like put to be like more animal-like or something, whereas like the other group is put on a pedestal, right? So- Oh, that's even like, you know, what what we did here. It's like, if a black guy smoked a joint, he was going to kill and murder. Right, (laughs) exactly, right. But the white dude- I mean, kill and rape is the same thing, kill and murder. (laughs) Right, but the white dude smoking is fine and not a threat to anyone, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to- Oh, you know, real quick, sorry, real quick, just another thing to add. You know that one of the reasons why they, I mean- there was multiple reasons, but one of the reasons why they did legalize cocaine mm. is because they did say if black guys sniffed it, it was going to be like devast- like they would kill or rape. Really? Yeah, it had to do with race, believe it or not. Oh my god, I didn't had no idea. Yeah. I just thought it was oh, like a black man sniffed a line of coke. Everybody, they better fucking run for cover. Oh wow, that's messed up, eh? Holy! Oh, and I did want to add something um, when you were talking about how. Nazis were given immunity in, during Operation Paperclip and brought over to America. If that's new information for anybody listening and they don't believe you, like, that's factual. And there's mm. even a Netflix documentary about it. If anyone was interested, there's a documentary called Camp Confidential, America's Secret Nazis, which I've watched. And it's very informative, actually. And I'm surprised that it was on Netflix. Um, but again, I think that's like perpetrating this myth that like, only the Nazis were bad and the Nazis were the bad guys. And um, I think that sort of goes along with like the Trump mentality, like going on in America right now. It's like demonizing this ultra nationalist sort of uh, mentality and like that that's bad, right? To make it, make it clear in people's mind, the general population's mind, that that's a bad thing to be. I'm not saying it's a good thing to be, but (laughs) that's definitely the narrative being pushed. Right. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. So that being said, um, racism in Japan is a little bit different than racism here in North America. So obviously racial tension was a driving factor in Nazi Germany. Um, and like Dr. Mengele, who was like known as the angel of death in the Nazi camp, um, he conducted those med- crazy medical experiments on Jews and concentration camp prisoners, which were not all just Jewish, by the way. There's other people in there too. Um, but race was the driving factor. And uh, this was done under the guise of medical stuff because the Nazis believed who would question a trained doctor, right? And don't didn't we see that like in the last few years too? Like, don't question the science. Oh, the doctors know best. You're you reading a article. You don't know anything, but only the doctors know, right? So again, this going back to like putting educated, indoctrinated people on a pedestal. You know right? what? You know what's funny that you just said that, and no shit. I had a, a listener send me a link today to a video that I did start to watch just a few minutes, and I was like, I may have to actually watch this whole thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually, like, on what you're saying right now. It was, like, like somebody covering how, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, know, the United States, but other countries, like, all of a sudden, we have to 
have these trained professionals to tell you what to do now. Right. It's, it's like, you know, it wasn't like that at one point. No, it really wasn't. And this is like a very more modern thing, like in the last, I don't know, maybe 100 years, 200 years, right? Where like these white collar professionals are like put on a pedestal. Um, So like arguments backed by science made the Nazi ideology extremely effective, right? And they understood that people put faith in science, just like, we do now. I would say, like, science is probably most people's religion these days. Trust the science. Right? <laughs> there was even those um, little, like, gifs or gifs, I don't know how you say it, on Instagram of, like, you know, pray for St. Fauci and, like, all this stuff. Like, you know, making this religion out of scientism, I guess you would call it. Um, so racism is not exclusive to Nazis, obviously. Um, but this ultra-nationalist view that the Nazis shared, the Japanese also shared. So I find it interesting that, like, these fascist countries shared this, like, ultra-nationalist pride. Like, Italy was the same with Mussolini. Japan had an emperor at the time. I don't know if a lot of people know that even. Like, the emperor was the the highest authority in the country. Uh, Hitler was, like, the chancellor or whatever. Um, so Japanese people believe at the time the ideology being presented was that the Japanese people are the superior race among Asians. Yes. And that they need to cleanse like the racial scape, uh, scope of Asia and like be the dominant leading race. Because they believe that um, they're called the, they call themselves the Yamato race, which has like a mythical origin. Oh, and they kind wow. of, like, didn't the Nazis have something like that too? Yeah, I mean. With this like mythical, like creation or like origin story. I, I mean, if we're looking at, yeah, I would believe so, yes. Some people may not right. agree with that, but I, I definitely, I mean, when you look at the shit that they did out in the streets, to me, they were obviously, there's something being, some pagan or magical influence behind them. Right. So the Japanese people believe not so much like based on skin color, right? Because, you know, obviously all Asians share a similar look, shall we say, right? It's more based on the purity of your soul. Oh, well, this, I mean, very much is very like Germany. Right. So, like, the, like that the Aryan race would be, like, the dominant yeah. mythical. They're like the Targaryens of their time. Well, if you, right? well, if you think about it, too, like, if, if they were, you know, gassing or killing, you know, Jewish people, they were white as well, for the most part, I'm assuming, you know. Yeah. So, it's like they were the killing people. the same color. It's just the ideology or how, you know, how cleansed your soul is. But darker features, usually. Yeah. So they wanted to like preserve the blonde hair. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People because they believed that that was like the more favorable genetic traits, right? Because it belonged to this like Aryan gene pool, right? Then there was some the Ubermensch, the Supermen, right? Very, um, uh, very Blavatsky. Very yes, very. Uh, yeah. So Japanese racism is more about the purity of one's soul. Uh, which is really interesting to me. It's a spiritual racism, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so they believe themselves above other Asians, and the majority of their victims were other Asians between 1931 to 1945, mostly Chinese people, interestingly. 
Um, also, the Yamato race believes they're divine and that the color of one's soul and purity is represented by the color red. Which I found odd. Mm. I don't know. That, like, if you think of the Japanese flag, it has the giant red sun against the white background. So the white represents purity and then the red represents the person's soul. And also one way to purge yourself of corruption was to bleed. Mm. Which is weird. I just had a thought right now that it ties into like Mormonism with the like blood atonement. Oh, remember that? Yeah. That was a while back. We covered that stuff, but yeah, that is and interesting. The bleeding, the bleeding. Yes. The bleeding is a way to like purify yourself. And that, um, the, like the Japanese people often have like honor suicides. Like when they're like to feel like they've disgraced themselves or their family, they kill themselves. I think oh, samurais. Yeah. Samurais would do that. Right. Um, so this is like deeply embedded in their culture and like ideology. Um, yes, there's this word in Japanese called sekisei. I'm probably saying it wrong, which means sincerity um, and literally translates to red truth. So again, the red being prominent, right? Is this so why you wore not... that shirt? No, it's not why. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought that as we, when we were uh, talking beforehand, I was like, oh shit, I wore red. And I'm going to talk about red in a few minutes. It's funny so. how the, I mean, isn't Coke red and white? Yeah. That's interesting. That's true, right? <laughs> black liquid in there. <laughs> Dang, the black goo's back. No. <laughs> Oh, man. So it's not so much like the overt, like blunt racism that I, I would say perpetrates the West. It's more this like subtle spiritual racism, but they truly believe that like they are better than other Asians and that it's their job to dominate the Asian culture and land. I guess. You know, you know, what's really interesting with that when you want to start getting into, I guess, like mind crimes or, or thoughts, it's mm -hmm. like you don't even have to like. You don't have to say like, oh, if this person looks like this, it just has to be like, oh, that person's thinking something in their head. It could be anybody, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and how do you even prove like, you know, unless they've been out in the open or, you know, you know what I'm saying? There's proof, like physical proof. Like, how do you say like this is what this person's thinking? Yeah, I just I just find it an easy way just to start pointing the finger at people. Totally. Like, how easy could, could you make anyone the scapegoat that you want? Right. Yeah, it's wild. Um, also, I just wanted to add real quick that um, Japanese doctors at the time, so you mentioned uh, Dr. Ishii, uh, who was like the head of Unit 731, um, that the doctors at the time in Japan were not provided like any ethical training whatsoever. So usually in medical school, there's probably a short section on ethics, but it is required, I believe, in North America so I think, well, I think understanding... when, you when you become a doctor, I'm pretty sure you swear to those ethics actually here. Yeah. yeah, the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Yes. So there is no Hippocratic that's, Oath in that's Japan. That's the day you even follow it anyway, probably. Right? Yeah, not that they follow it, but I mean, they do. <laughs> they do used some to. Sort of, <laughs> some sort of oath. But um, at the time, they didn't do this. I don't know if they do it nowadays. But it was under the assumption that if you want to become a doctor, you're doing it for like helping humanity. But in their eyes, helping humanity was cleansing the Asian race 
and infiltrating it with the Yamato race, which was them. So they thought that that's for the good of everybody, just like the Germans thought they were doing good by preserving the Aryan gene pool and exterminating everybody else. Mm. Right? So yeah, just wanted to make a little introduction on the yeah, Japanese I didn't, I didn't know about mentality. I didn't know that till I read about it either. And I even took totalitarianism and World War II stuff in university. And I've never heard of any of this. Interesting. Yeah, that's right. I mean, like, <laughs> seriously, like, just what you just said right now, it's like we really had Japan and Germany doing, like, the same fucking thing in different ways. Yeah. And I do wonder the spiritual origins of that. Just, like, talking out loud. These are my own thoughts. Like, does that come from the same place? Like, whatever, I don't know if they were, like, tapping into something on purpose. I think the Nazis were. I don't Mm -hmm. know about the Japanese, probably. But spiritually, what were they doing that gave them these presumptions and ideas? Mm. That's what I wonder. Good question. Yeah, is there, like, the same mindset behind their actions? Mm Mm-hmm. The same spirit, perhaps. Oh, yeah, that too. (laughs) Right. So you're done? I am done. Okay. I'm going to read off a uh, a couple of different, um, just three of them real quick. It's just a couple of chemicals that might be, if, if I don't mention it, it is chemicals that were used. I'm pretty sure they are things that I will be mentioning going forward later on. I just want to cover a couple of them that people may not have heard of so you understand who makes it and what it does. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go on to uh, Lewisite. Lewisite is an organic... Uh, Lewisite is a compound. It was once manufactured in the U.S., Japan, Germany, and Soviet Union, which is very interesting, Mm. Um, for the use as a chemical weapon acting as a vesicant or a blister agent Mm. and lung irritant. Although the substance is colorless and odorless in its pure form, uh, impure samples of Lewisite are yellow, brown, violet, black, green, or amber looking. Apart from its, uh, from its use as a weapon of war, Lewisite is useless. Say that again. Mm. Apart from its use as a weapon of war, Lewisite is useless. But yeah, we, we just said that the U.S., Japan, Germany, and Soviet Union make it. Mm-hmm. This Why? useless substance. Mm-hmm. A chemist from the United States Army Chemical Warfare Laboratory said that no one has ever found any use for the compound. So, uh, applications, USAID is useless apart from deliberately injuring and killing people. It has no commercial, industrial, or scientific, uh, scientific applications. And again, it's to uh, cause blisters and lung irritant. Uh, Adam site, or, <laughs> I found this interesting, or DM. Like, don't we have Robitussin DM? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had the commercial was like brought to you by Dr. Mom. I was like, does DM stand for Dr. Mom? That's what I thought when I was little. <laughs> Adamsite or a DM is an organic compound, technically uh, arsenical. <laughs> this word. Uh, whatever. That can be used as a riot control agent. DM what? belongs to the group of chemical warfare agents known as vomiting agents or sneezing gases. First synthesized in Germany. 
1915, it was independently developed by the U.S. chemist Roger Adams at the University of Illinois in 1918. Mm. So now they are using uh, weapons that were actually... I mean, that's almost, like, confusing. So it was developed by somebody in 1918, but then synthesized and used in Germany, and, you know, whatever. Well, we have the U.S. Uh, making it, Germany synthesizing it, and then Japan using it. It's very weird, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, also another reason why I wanted to kind of uh, cover those uh, those two out of the three that I had. Uh, so that, that was just real quick. I did kind of want to lightly touch on those because I do think I bring them up. As of other chemicals, that I think when I do mention them, people will have no problem knowing what they are. So... That was just real quick. And then if you want to uh, go into some of the stuff you have, Teresa. Sure. So you want to get into the um, experiments that were going on at Unit 731? Yes. yes okay. Good. So uh, one of the things that the scientists decided would be great to study was the effects of frostbite on people. Right? So one of the more horrifying series of experiments revolved around extreme temperatures. While extreme heat was used to test on test subjects, uh, extreme cold was used more often um, because it was su- more suitable to the climate in Japan. Um, after the test subjects were taken outside in the cold, water was intermittently poured on their arms until frostbite set into the affected areas. Other times, limbs were frozen and subsequently thawed to study gangrene. Fun. One might wonder how the researchers could tell that the arms were frostbitten. So according to one officer's testimony, frostbite had occurred if the frozen arms, when struck with a short stick, emitted a sound resembling that which gives a board when struck. So they, they hit the person at different points in the freezing process, and then when it gives that like blunt sound, like you're hitting like a wooden board. Like a log? Yeah, like a log, how they refer to their test subjects as logs because they dehumanized the shit out of them. That's when they could tell it was frozen enough, right? However, these experiments did yield some scientific findings. The unit determined that rubbing a frostbitten area was not the most effective treatment. Instead, it was better to treat frostbite by immersing the affected area in water warmer than 37.8 Celsius, which is around 100 Fahrenheit, but cooler than 50 Celsius or 122 Fahrenheit. Um, Actually, a scene depicting this experiment ritual uh, is featured in the 1988 film Men Behind the Sun with some artistic license taken, apparently. Mm. Yes, so that's the first one I had. Uh, The second type of experiment going on Oh, you know what I wanted to add real quick to that whole thing with the freezing? Yes. I mean, this is actually, like, really disturbing, but I I just didn't want to make a point of it. Um, They knew also that you could stick a child outside in the cold without any care, and it will live for three days before it dies. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Fucking disgusting. Could you imagine conducting that experiment just as, like, a human in general? Like who who who's in charge of that experiment? You literally just like pick up a baby, walk them into the middle of the cold woods, put them down, and then just like hang out and see what happens. I also wonder if those are like the children that were 
the result of raping the prisoners and stuff? I would assume probably. Or Chinese children, because they view the Chinese as uh, spiritually impure and discardable. Or Russian babies. A lot of the victims in Unit 731 were Russian, mm -hmm. which I find interesting. Yeah. But that's wild. You know, you know what I find really weird about that is that Russia was cool with them torturing and experimenting on their citizens as long as they gave them the research information after the fact. Could it well, have been maybe, maybe you're like, here you go, here's some test subjects. I wonder if they were cool with it at the time or not. Like, they might have not been cool with it at the time, but later yeah, on didn't really yeah. care to yeah. press consequences. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, yeah, or even if they weren't cool with it, at one point, I guess they were okay with it after the fact because of the information they got out of it. It's just, like, really kind of screwed up and weird. Well, you have to think also, too, the Russian people had already suffered the Holodomor. I don't know if a lot of people have heard of that. And that was like extreme starvation. Like literally, I think it was under Stalin. I might be historically inaccurate. Pretty sure it was under Stalin and like millions of people died. So people think that like Hitler was the, the worst. I'm telling you on a scale of like totalitarian dictators, not even close. Stalin worse. Mao Zedong in China. Way fucking worse. Pol Pot was like, pretty bad, too. Who? Or Pol Pot, or however you fucking say his name. Oh, I, who's that? Uh, he's like another fucking socialist or communist. Oh, shit. Yeah, I've, I've actually know. literally seen, like, uh, I think they were, I forgot the politician's name that was, like, trying to run for something in California. Mm -hmm. Literally had a dress with his fucking face on it. Oh, wow. Oof. That's, uh, that's a statement right there. But again, going back I just find it interesting. Current culture demonizes Nazis, right? Which rightfully so, but also never mentions communist dictators like Stalin or Mao Zedong ever. If you ask like a typical high school person or like someone in college, like who's the worst dictator ever? Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. That's who they'd say. Or like they always compare it like to Hitler. It's like this word, like when people use, the name like Jesus as a swear word. It's like Hitler's just like this word like synonymous with bad shit, right? Don't be a Nazi. Actually, don't be a communist. Yeah. <laughs> worse, right? But they don't perpetuate that in our common mentality, which nice. I find interesting. It's like a secret. <laughs> right? Anyways, back to Unit 731. Um, another major thing going on at the facility was sexual assault and rape. So unfortunately, and very tragically, this was rampant in Unit 731. There was mass rapes and sexual slavery uh, and sex crimes committed by Japanese soldiers throughout the facility. Um, many of these unlawful acts were committed just for pleasurable purposes but sometimes were justified by the researchers as experiments about sexually transmitted diseases and also to use the children born from these acts in experiments. Um, just to show like the very casual nature of these crimes and the mentality of the soldiers and guards, uh, one guard's account of a researcher 
uh, was that the the guard told, sorry, the researcher told the guard that he had a human experiment scheduled, but he had time to kill before time the experiment. Kill. So he took the guard's key to a cell and just decided to rape this Chinese lady just for fun while he was waiting to do his experiment. Like, this is like a really fucked up mentality. Yeah. Um, and this also kind of relates to another incident. I'm sure you're probably going to bring it up later, but the it's called the Rape of Nanjing. Yeah, so, that's actually what I'm going into after this, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> do you want me to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, go for it, it. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just this, like, mass rape mentality, like, I don't know what is up with the with the Japanese, but um, the Nanjing Massacre um, occurred, sorry, uh, in the Battle of Nanking in that uh, Sino-Japanese War under the Imperial Japanese Army. So it was December 13th, 1937, the massacre lasted six weeks, and the perpetrators committed other heinous war crimes, such as mass rape, looting, and arson. The massacre was one of the worst atrocities committed during World War II. Have you ever heard of that before researching this? Nope. Nope. I had no idea of any of that stuff. When Not I started time. reading it, I was like, yo, this is insane. Like... That's serious large numbers. Like, I'm reading it, and what I'm picturing in my head is like, uh, fuck, what was that show I just said to you before? Game of Thrones. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, these are like barbarians just running yes. into a, a, an area, taking it over, and then just raping the women and doing yeah. whatever they want. It's like some Viking barbarian. I was, yeah, thing. I was like, this is like some barbaric, animalistic crap. In 1937. Yes a little bit shocking. I don't remember More learning shocking this in to school. me that you growing up in American school, me growing up in Canadian school has never heard of this ever in our life. I find that very interesting and very telling. Mhm. Mm. Anywho, uh basically the army murdered a lot of people <laughs> and raped a ton of people. Um there was at least 200,000 murders and at least 20,000 cases of rape. That's a lot. Right? Yeah. And I was saying to you before we started recording that it kind of almost reminded me of the Rwandan genocide because of yeah, just you were this like about that. Yeah, just almost like from what I've heard of people who were eyewitnesses to that genocide, um very tragic. But um, just the mentality of, like, this sweeping evil. And people were almost, like, bloodthirsty and this, like, bloodlust that, like, takes over when people start this, like, mass killing. It's almost like this um, very primal mentality, like, comes out in people who they were probably friends with, like, a month ago. And now they're, like, murdering them with machetes and raping women and shit. It's, like, wild. I mean, like I said to you when you were even mentioning that to me, because uh, yeah, I'll be honest, when you mentioned this whole thing, I was like, I've heard of it, but I actually don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. And as you were telling me that, like I even said to you, like minus the rape, because I don't think like that would have been a huge thing. But I do think like what you were saying two or three years ago, I do think if we were pushed, well, not me and you, but other people were pushed a little bit harder harder and farther and a little sprinkled a little bit more fear 
Mm. Our own citizens may have started acting that way towards each other. The I left and the it, right could. I yeah. do believe the left and the right could actually be pushed to this extent. It's very well, possible. I think that's what we see sometimes. You know, with like mass shootings, stuff like this. It's like the precursors to they're just like pushing like the far right and the far left. It's antagonizing the two ends and wanting them to just like unleash on each other eventually, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it seems like to me. But yeah, that was the uh, the Nanking massacre, um, which I just thought was telling of the mentality, like when it comes to a lack of respect for life and women, and you know, just the whole mentality. It's very messed up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you like me to continue, or would you like to go no. into what you were saying? Okay. No. What are you still covering the Nanking? No, I'm just going to move on to the other kind of experiments. Sure, go for it. Like? Go for All it. All right. So a third type of experiment that was common at Union 731 was things that went on in special chambers. So Unit 731 itself was like six square kilometers, which is like 2.3 miles. Six. Um, right? I know. I thought I saw the six and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, and I think like the fence around the prison was like three, you know, three meters high too. Some shit like that. Oh, of course, right? Yeah. Oh man, but they did have um, numerous buildings for specific experiments. So uh, many of these buildings were used to raise fleas, uh, culture of different pathogens, and many were specifically built for certain kind of tests. So in one special chamber, there was a centrifuge built to examine how much force it would take to cause death. High-pressure chambers pushed victims' eyes out of their heads. Forced abortions and sterilizations were conducted, and subjects were treated to lethal doses of x-rays. And one, this was the one that, like, really disturbed me the most. Um, In an experiment to observe the innate bond between mother and child, a Russian mother and her child were monitored in a glass chamber while poisonous gas was pumped into the chamber. The mother covered her child in an attempt to save the baby, but both ultimately died, of course. Can you can you just imagine, like, observing that behind a glass wall? Like, how, how messed up do you have to be, you know? That yeah. one really got, got me, being a mom myself, obviously. You know, it's interesting, like, even getting into uh, some of the stuff that me and Thrash are going to cover. Thinking mm-hmm. about it now, like, this, the glass wall. I mean, there was MK Ultra experiments with LSD that right? we stood behind glass walls and watched the reaction. Yes. <laughs> Again, like, you know, do we get that, do we get that way of watching, I don't know, from them? Like, yeah. Very weird. Well, and also what got me too about that was that probably the mother tried like ev- till her like last moment to like, you know, just protect her child. It, that to me speaks of like the human spirit, right? I think you about know? like what was going on through that mother's mind in those last minutes. Just completely losing it, I'm sure. But just awesome. wild yeah. what people endured during the World War. Um, so another type of experimentation that went on was weapons testing. So in Unit 731, human subjects were also used in weapons testing at many facilities. The victims were taken typically to an experimental field like the ANDA field. I'm not sure. I'm sure it's close by. I don't know exactly where it is. 
and tied to wooden posts for testing. The victims then had plague-spreading bombs dropped on them en masse, were used for target practice, and had grenades thrown at them or were burned by flamethrowers. Oh. Oof, right? So this is also similar to the Imperial Japanese Army's protocol to use captured Chinese soldiers for bayonet practice. So this is not new to the Japanese soldiers. Um, nevertheless, it's an example of the unnecessary, unnecessary cruelty exhibited at the facility. Yeah. And no, I just have one, one more left. No, no, Sorry. No, no, no. You know, what's crazy is that like, I, it's wild. It's like how we both covered this and like, I didn't even come across that stuff. It's just, I know. Yeah. It's like I thought what I had was bad enough. I guess <laughs> right? I didn't keep going. Yes. I was I'm probably thinking yeah. what I have is terrible. And then when I'm going to hear your stuff, I'm going to be like, Whoa, yeah. what the heck? Right. So the last uh, type of experiment that I have notes on is biological warfare. So World War I had brought technological advances in warfare, particularly biological warfare. Um, and the experimenters were inspired by the success produced by these bioweapons. For example, chlorine gas used during the Battle of Ypres, um, probably phosgene, like we've covered in the past, right? Oh, God. That stuff um, pops up all over the place now, right? Oof, right? Stop paying back. attention to it, yeah going to come back. That's why it's important to talk about these things, right? Yes. So General Shiro Ishii, uh, the infamous doctor behind 731, he experimented extensively in the biological warfare area. So in addition to dropping bombs filled with diseases like anthrax, cholera, and typhoid, and the bubonic plague on prisoners, Ishii designed a special porcelain-shelled bomb that allowed infected fleas to disperse and infect a wider area. Again, subjects were often tied to stakes and bombed. Scientists in protective suits examined their bodies afterward. So I actually didn't even make that connection. They were just tied there and, like, left? Yeah. And then they, what, they just roll up in their, in their bio suits and study the bodies? That's what I'm getting out of what you said, Ooh, yeah. Right? At other times, for example, between October 4th and 29th, 1940, low-lying airplanes sprayed plague bacteria in the Chechiang province in China, killing 21, pe 21 people on the 4th and 99 people on the 29th. However, estimates for the total number of Chinese killed in this manner varies from 200,000 to 580,000 people. These are fucking massive numbers. Yeah. Um, as we had said before, the ja Japanese regarded the Chinese as inferior, and as a result, the Chinese were considered viable test subjects for these attacks. We can only speculate what the unit would have done on a larger scale with more biological weapons. Yeah. Yep. And that's all from me, sir. All right. Wow. <laughs> Um, Great. besides like unit 731, there was, uh, you know, I think I might've mentioned it earlier. There was other like unit numbers that were still like, it's like weird. It's almost like they had like, you know, I'm going to cover unit 1855. It's almost as if that was already under unit 731 already. Right. But like they did have like, I think, and the reason why I'm covering them is that it does seem like 
these other unit numbers were kind of more specialized in like what they were doing. Um, I have unit 1855 was a unit for human experimentation that belonged to, again, the Central Epidemic Prevention and Water for Purification Department of the North uh, China Army of the Imperial uh, Japanese Army, uh, stationed in Beijing between 1938 and 1945. Unit 1855 was established by the North China Army in 1938. The unit was located in a facility not far from the Temple of Heaven in Beijing. Real quick, if you don't know what the Temple of Heaven is, it is a uh, it is a complex of imperial religious buildings situated in the southeastern part of central Beijing. I just find it interesting that they actually put this thing th- next to like a well-known religious thing. Yeah, it's odd. The unit was commanded by the surgeon uh, Colonel Nish- Nishimura Yene, who reported uh, who reported directly to Shiro Ishii at Unit Seven Thirty One. When I first arrived uh, there, some one hundred prisoners were already in cells. Whenever the Japanese doctors made contact with the people being tested, they always did so through an interpreter. These uh, the test subjects were infected with plague, cholera, and typhus. Those not yet infected were kept in different rooms. There were large mirrors in the rooms with the subjects so, those, so that those undergoing the testing could be observed better. I, uh, I spoke with prisoners using a microphone and looking through the glass panel, interpreted the questions from the doctors. Um, you know, and they would just ask them, you know, normal things, but, you know, they're basically, uh, you know, giving people these things, throwing them again behind a, you know, glass and seeing what happened. Uh, it had been estimated that unit 1855 killed about 1000 people between 1938 and 1945. The unit evacuated the facilities in Beijing during the Japanese defeat in 1945 and the Chinese entered the building, which was not destroyed and uh, was still standing as of 1996. So it's like, you know, one thing I do find interesting, it's like if this stuff was left there and the other people walked in, could you continue to still use it? Conspiracy as that sounds. Right. (laughs) Then I have uh, unit uh, EI-1644. Again, that was part of the uh, you know, Epidemic Prevention of Water Purification Department. It was established in 1939 in Japanese-occupied uh, Japanese Nanking, and it was a satellite unit of Unit 30, uh, 731. It had uh, 12 branches and employed about 1,500 men. Um... Sato claimed in his testimony that the unit EI did not conduct experiments on human beings. An anonymous researcher who claims he was attached to unit 1644 says that it regularly carried out human vivisections as well as infecting humans with, again, uh, cholera, typhus, and the bubonic plague. Every week, between 10 to 20 prisoners, uh, they were exposed to poisons, germs, and different gases. 
and about 10, <laughs> 10 were killed weekly by guests. <coughs> Oof. Having my own problem over here. <laughs> Lethal injections and bullets. Uh, let me just redo that all over again. Mm-hmm. The human experiments on unit IE-1644 took place in the confines of the fourth floor in the facility, uh, which was out of bounds for the majority of the unit. Reportedly, only a minority of the staff took part in the BW experiments on humans in Unit 1644, such as the unit doctors and high-level technicians. Each week, uh, between 10 to 20 persons were exposed to poisons, germs, and different gases, and about 10 were killed weekly by gases, lethal injections, and bullets. A uh, soldier stationed at the unit testified that ordinary soldiers were not allowed beyond the second floor and not informed that human experiments were taking place there, but they aware of rumors to that effect. The soldier had heard that there were prisoners kept on the fourth floor and was told by an officer there is a lumbage, lumber storage facility on the fourth floor. Never go above the second floor. You got it? Again, that's almost like, you know, calling them logs. Mm-hmm. Max to that. Yeah. Then, uh, you know, some biological warfare. In late August 1942, a unit EI participated in a biological attack against Chinese citizens and soldiers in Yushin County, Jinhua, in, in Fuking. Uh, the advanced Chinese troops entered the contaminated zone and came under the action of bi- a bacterial uh, logical weapon, cholera, and plague cultures. So Sato testified he was told that the plague, cholera, cholera, and paratyphoid germs were employed against the Chinese by spraying. So here they are, like spraying more biological weapons. On people. Uh, dismemberment, um, like experiments at Auschwitz and other Nazi concentration camps, Unit 731 doctors and researchers studied the potential survival of soldiers on the battlefield. But instead of using Japanese soldiers for these experiments, Unit 731 used Allied POWs as well as Chinese and Russian civilians. One such war influence experiment was in uh, various dismemberment, particularly limb amputations, to study the effects of blood loss. Other forms of dismemberment were purely experimental and non-combat related. For example, some amputated limbs were reattached to other sides of the body. Other times, limbs were frozen and amputated until only the victim's head and torso remained. Often, this was done without anesthetic for fear of negatively affecting the experiments. Yeah. That's fucking some evil scientist shit right there. Yeah. Lethal injections. (laughs) Initially, many of Unit 731 disease experiments were performed as preventative measures. The Japanese had found that 89% of battlefield deaths from the first Sino-Japanese War were from diseases. Uh, 
I find that interesting. But these experiments into preventative uh, medicines and vaccines evolved into offensive use as the war progressed. Unit 731 was split into eight divisions. The first focused on experimenting with bacteriological diseases, including the bubonic plague, cholera, anthrax, typhoid, and tuberculosis. These bacteria were injected into subjects regularly, and the resulting infections were studied. The outcomes, beca- the outcomes became increasingly deadly because many people lived in communal cells. So again, you know, now they're injecting people with all sorts of weird stuff. Um, not to interrupt you, sorry. I just find it interesting because I have come across in research before that a lot of people in concentration camps in Germany were did not actually die like in gas chambers, um, but they actually died of like typhus or like typhoid i i wonder if that was like on purpose or if that just was like consequential of like having a bunch of people in tight living quarters and like not very sanitary conditions i don't know yeah children were not exempt from the unit's atrocities as uh vertical transmissions from mother to fetus were studied this included diseases like syphilis The researchers studied how syphilis would affect the resulting baby's health and how it would harm the mother's reproductive system. Although we don't know the number of children born in captivity, it is known that none had survived when the unit dissolved in 1945. While diseases like tuberculosis and smallpox could be injected, syphilis and gonorrhea required a different method of injection. This was done using a male and a female one of whom who uh, was infected. The couple was forced to have sexual intercourse under the threat of being shot. The, la- uh, the infected bodies were later vivisected to see the internal results. Oof. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's really kind of about what I had. I mean, I have a little bit more on vivisection, but I mean, I think for the most part, People, if you don't know what vivisection is, go look it up. But you know, I don't think there's any reason to really get into that more. Um, something else I do even want to add to, you know, when, uh, you know, this place that was a prison that eventually got turned into, you know, these testing sites. Um, there is not one person that left and walked out alive. Not one. Every single person in Seoul that was put into that building was tested and killed. Every single one. Yep. There is a fuck ton of people that this was done to. Yes. And, and then not not to downplay, you know, Germany, what happened in concentration camps. But eventually, you know, a lot of some people were liberated. Alive. Yeah. There were survivors, you know. Oh, yes. Here, there was not a single soul. Yeah, you don't have people running around with these supposed barcodes on them saying that they're still alive. Well, and uh, interestingly, the Allied forces didn't care to save anyone in the Japanese experimental camps, right? No, they didn't save anyone, and then they gave them a pass after they handed them over their findings. Interesting. You know, and again, like, you know, we had mentioned Project Paperclip before. Like, that's like we were saying, that's not... 
a conspiracy. The government is pretty open and honest about some of the Nazi scientists they took over. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I guess like part of the reason I wanted to cover this too is that, you know, not to bash where I am, but you have to question why were these atrocities allowed? I'm saying allowed. I mean, I question allowed to happen and then kind of, you know, gave him a little pat on the ass and let him go. Mm-hmm. We took information from the Nazis and the Japanese who were doing horrific shit to people. You know, and something else I also wanted to mention too, which I do find questionable about a lot of this stuff, is that, um, you know, we were a part of like the... It almost seems as if like since we were agreeing to not do these things a part of like these conventions and things that we were a part of, but these other countries that were doing it were not. It almost seems convenient. You know, we can't do this, but we can learn from the people who haven't agreed to not do this. Right. And that is yeah. still sick to me. It is. You are absolutely. no different than the people doing it to an extent. You know. Absolutely. So I know sometimes people, you know, why do you cover old, silly stuff? It's so that maybe we can see where we actually are here today. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was like not to point at and try to grift off of horrible, sick stuff. It's just I found it interesting that all this stuff happened and the United States was just like, meh. And so was even hey. Russia, really. Yeah, thanks for the tips, guys. Oh, we gave us some paperwork? (laughs) Meh, it's all right. Oh, God. Yep. So, yeah. Very disturbing. The atrocities of Unit 731. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you're still listening, I appreciate that. And uh, (laughs) I hope you, like, again, like, you understand what we're getting at, the reason of covering this. It was not to glamorize and to try to get hits off of a terrifying, disgusting topic. It's just to show you, like, what stuff we have been okay with. Yep. And, you know, people call for war crimes trials, Gitmo Uh, this. Tribunals! Tribunals! Thinking that, you know, America is going to give the world justice. That's, you know, this is exactly... like some, some beacon of liberty and constitutional values... That was one of the things, one of the reasons why I wanted to cover this. Not that I got cutards listening to my show. (laughs) No, but. But like when we have allowed this shit going on, you really think we're going to have tribunals for Soros? No. We're already supposed to have these rules in place. Like there already was, um, you know, war crimes trials after World War II that those rules are not upheld really whatsoever. Nope. So. Why would there be any justice done for anyone when the ones in charge are still the same group of people running around? I mean, from my point of view, it seems like whenever somebody does something fucked up, we were just like, oh, yo, can you tell us how that worked out for you? We don't seem to do a (laughs) goddamn thing about fucking anything. Honestly. No, that's so true. Sorry, did you have any more uh, experiments to get into? No, no, I I am done on my end. All right. Would you like to know a little bit about General uh, Ishishiro, the yes. main doctor. Because yeah. <laughs> just to go off of what you were saying, like America did know what was going on and they didn't do anything to stop it. You know, this great, uh, great nation of justice. 
So just to get into uh, Dr. Ishishiro himself a little bit, he's the main one. I couldn't find much information on other doctors involved, so I'll just talk about him a little bit. So General Ishishiro was the founder and leader of the Imperial Army Biological Warfare Research Unit 731. He was flamboyant and arrogant. He was disposed to grandiose schemes and outlandish claims. He was often described as eccentric, yet highly intelligent and energetic. Ishii is viewed as the father of Japan's biological weapons program for the role he played in pushing the high command to fund biological weapons research. He was not the only person conducting experiments um, because there was many biological warfare research centers similar to Unit 731. However, he was accepted um, by the medical and university academic community because he ended up marrying uh, the one of the university president's daughters. Smart play, right? You say very, very convenient move. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Oh man, as we were get as I touched on before, uh, it was understood in Japanese medical school that becoming a doctor was to help people and do no harm. But again, no Hippocratic oath and no ethics training whatsoever. Instead, many of these young men were instilled with a very strong sense of nationalism and patriotic duty. This led many scientists to believe that medicine should be used as a weapon to accomplish the goals of their nation. Along with the sense of nationalism came a strong sense of racial superiority, racial superiority, which was believed to be backed by science. In this era of Just rapid discovery, science. science was king. <laughs> Guys, we're here. Not even 100 years later, we're back. So... Ishii himself had a strong desire to advance his position. He did so often at, at the chagrin of others who considered him brash, pushy, and arrogant. Sounds like Trump and Kanye. <laughs> Yo. Oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he graduated as a medical doctor in 1920 at the age of 28. He eventually married President Araki's daughter, so that's the president of one of the universities, to solidify his relationship with Kyoto's medical school and research department. It was not, not long after he graduated that Ishii joined the army and was commissioned as a lieutenant. In 1922, Ishii transferred to the first army hospital in Tokyo, where he pursued research, which was, in fact, his true passion, not generally practicing medicine whatsoever. He just wanted to fuck around with weird shit. During his military career, he maintained the ties that he had built at Kyoto University, and other leading research institutions, like Tokyo University as well. He later used these universities as recruiting grounds to bring young scientists and doctors into his um, employment. Mm. His connections within the Japanese university system were extensive thanks to his marriage and charismatic personality. This network of allies within the military and educational sectors served him later in life by allowing him to secure funding and personnel. The universities and military provided the means to conduct his research, but it was truly his ultra-nationalistic mentality that motivated his actions. Interesting. Uh, is, I guess it shows you how well nationalism works. Works very well. Mm. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. And that is something I'm just going to mention real quick and something that we probably will cover in the future. 
but you know, not not for nothing, for real, for real. Maybe people don't know it because like they don't know podcasters personally, but there is a serious, serious fucking rise in Nazism and nationalism that you would never yeah. know coming from people that never know. I wouldn't even say it's just podcasters. I'd say that there is a concerning rise in ultra-right mentality and ultra-nationalistic mentality in the truther conspiracy community at large, which many of them happen to also be podcasters. So, Yeah, it's just, yeah. you know what the thing is, too? Like, I do get the idea, like, I am all for let's take care of this country and stop worrying about other ones. For sure, ones. of course. You know, let's, let's fix degree. our shit first, but mm-hmm. there is a huge rise, and I, I just really, Nazi idol, you know, ideas, and it's just, I don't think... It's good, and I do think it's by design. Just saying. Absolutely. And the crazy thing is, is that you will get people who actually think that, like, shit that the Nazi party started on was pure and got, you know, got Mm. infiltrated. That's, That's a very scary thing that people are actually entertaining, in my opinion. Yes, sir. Because, in my opinion, as soon as the word Nazi pops up, that is telling you there is a magician involved and you are going to think what they want you to think. You mm-hmm. are going to believe what they want you to believe uh, going by whatever video footage they hand you that they probably made themselves. <laughs> Just like right. the Azov Battalion. Just real quick, yeah. I wanted to throw that in there because it is something that I've actually been noticing a lot lately and has been kind of disheartening. And unfortunately, it's just like, you know, we have people out there who are supposedly, you know, uh, authorities on knowledge, but seem to be rather ignorant in other things. Well, again, you know, I agree 100% with what you're saying. It's very dangerous, and it's a romanticized version of what the Nazis were doing and what they were about. Just like the left romanticizes communism. And science. And and science. (laughs) And Bolshevikism, these are not new concepts, and we should learn from the past the dangers of these extremes. Mm-hmm. Which Period. Hence why we're doing this episode, too. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So Sorry um, to interrupt you with that rant. No, just, not uh, at all. I think it's very important to state, honestly. Um, so uh, towards the end of the Second World War, there was a concerted effort by the Japanese government to disconnect the imperial family, so the emperor's family, from the actions of the Japanese military to prevent to protect the emperor from prosecution. But eyewitness testimony states that the imperial prince uh, was present at tests involving humans. Some historians also know that um, many of the imperial family were privy to what was going on in the camps like Unit 731. Um, Early in the investigation of Unit 731 by the United States, one of Ishii's top officers named Naito Ryochi, probably butchering that, sorry, listed the emperor as the top chain of command of Unit 731. So he knew what was going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe not everything, but generally. Most of the evidence... Enough, yeah. Most of the evidence for the emperor's involvement is circumstantial. Uh, So saying like that the emperor's cousin was present at a field test, 
that the emperor's brother watched films of bubonic plague bombs being dropped onto Chinese civilians, things like this. Um, also, Emperor Hirohito signed an order to expand Unit 731. However, the order did not give specific description of the unit's activities, so it's unclear if he even knew what was exactly happening. Well, see, I right? also wonder, like, if you're that vague, is that because you're just trying to play off or not specifying? Maybe that's to prevent the Emperor from being fully complicit. Oh, no, no, I'm saying it's right? actually a way of him being complicit, but there's no evidence of him showing that it, he actually Exactly, knows. yeah, that he can have a loophole to get Yeah, oh, I had no um, idea, but yet, yet you did. <laughs> Totally, right? Yeah, right? Oh, gosh. Um, so the United States was well aware of the activities of Unit 731, a fact that was alluded to by American investigators after the war. However, before these investigations, the United States did know what Jap Japan was up to, uh, specifically about conducting experiments with biological and chemical weapons, although maybe the full extent of experiments was not known. But by 1946, the United States had received several reports that experiments were conducted on allied prisoners of war by Unit 100 and Unit 731. In 1946, a letter was sent to General Douglas MacArthur stating that experiments were conducted on at least three allied prisoners of war at the Infectious Disease Research Laboratory in Tokyo. Uh, one anonymous Youth Corps member who worked at Unit 731 later described his job task as preserving human specimens in formalin, which is a chemical like formaldehyde, I guess. These were specimens of adults, children, babies, heads, organs, and entire bodies. He recalled that they were separated by nationality he saw Chinese, Russian, Korean, British, French, and American specimens. Oh, this is only one example of Americans used for experimentation. And there were several court cases that described the experimentation and murder of several of the United States citizens by the Japanese. Uh, in some cases, um, Americans were beheaded. Their heads were boiled and skulls sent back to Tokyo as specimens for study. Connections were not made to Unit 731 during these trials, either because of a lack of due diligence during the investigation process or because they were officially suppressed. It is well documented by historians now that the United States was actively suppressing knowledge of Japan's human experimentation and activities in biological warfare, particularly around Unit 731. This is, of course, not the first time that the United States has suppressed knowledge of human experimentation, as they had already captured many Nazi scientists and brought them back to the United States to work on various projects, such as building American rockets. Hello, Werner von Braun. Mm. Nor would the human experiments have shocked the U.S. government, as they had been conducting their own experiments as well since 1922, and continued to do so for many years post-war. Because of the cover-up involved, few people who committed the crimes in Japan or Germany in the name of science were prosecuted. Dr. Ishii himself died from cancer in 1959 and was never prosecuted for his crimes. Many other high-ranking officers in various units went back to Japan 
re-entered the university system and played prominent roles in Japan's medical and academic communities. Unlike their victims, most of these men and women went on to live full lives and were exposed only after many years of silence or after many of the perpetrators had already died of old age. The emerging conflict with the Soviet Union later on outweighed the need for justice. So the U.S. tried very hard to keep the Soviets from gaining access to the knowledge and men of Unit 731. <laughs> so they're competing for, for the knowledge and the secrets so that the other, their other adversary does not get a grip on them. That's right? Instead of prosecuting the bad guy, we're just going to fight over the bad guy. Exactly, yeah. It's, it's okay. disturbing. Sure. The Soviets did also capture some people from Unit 731, who were trying to flee. Many of these men stood trial in the Khabarskov. Sorry. Yeah, I I tried that. to pronounce that one the too. trials held in the Soviet Union. At the time of these trials, the United States stated that the trials were just propaganda. Yeah. Bam. At least the Russians tried, even if it was like a mock trial. They still attempted something, yeah. right? Yeah. God. Yeah, I it's thought crazy. that was wild when I did come across, uh, you know, and then eventually I just asked you to look into that part. But when I did kind of come across some of that stuff, I was like, you know, like, yeah, like they didn't, <laughs> what you just said, this is fucking crazy. Like, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, oh, it's propaganda. I'm like, yo, what? Like, it's like, I feel like this country just loves using that word whenever they want to cover their own ass. Ah, propaganda. It's propaganda. It's propaganda. Right? Yep. Well, there is that thing, uh, the Smith-Mund Act. I forget when that was passed. I believe it was under Obama. Smith-Mund Act is uh, United States legislation that states propaganda can be used against its own citizens. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was actually the name for that. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's actually something, um, not saying that it's not real. It's just I would like to actually find... I've wondered what that name exactly is and the bill number because I would actually like to look at it physically. I think you could uh, easily to find, yeah. That might actually be interesting to cover since I think a lot of people actually think it's like a fable. No, you know yeah. <laughs> it's real. I remember yeah. learning about it in university even. Yeah, pretty wild stuff. But yeah, that's uh, Unit 731. Yeah, so... Again, some real horrible atrocities and, you know, just, again, like what she even covered, just more proof of our country uh, sweeping under the rug and claiming propaganda and trying to, uh, you know, church up the situation. (laughs) Very disturbing stuff. And again, like I was saying, you know, I'm trying to show stuff in the past that maybe we can sit here and wonder about, you know, where are we now and don't know about, you know. What are we? What are we really doing? What is the goal? Who are they really? You know, just when you look at this stuff, it's just almost contradiction of what we think our government's doing. Right. Say it. Yeah. And why do certain people get protected? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that is the end of Unit Seven Thirty One. Again, uh, thank you all if you've made it through the episode. Uh, I thought it was, you know. Pretty, pretty graphic and disturbing. But again, like there was a reason for it. Uh, 
Yeah. That's the end of this. I really ain't got much to say. I got some, you know, stupid shit to spiel at the end. Real. I just think uh, we're done with this topic, and there you go. Um, pretty, pretty horrific stuff. Um, just to reiterate, uh, like we were saying at the beginning, if you do watch our uh, videos, um, you know, we do have podcasts. And if you do watch, if you do listen to the podcasts, we do have videos. Um, I do also have a bunch of stuff I could throw up on the screen for this. Um, I'm not quite sure yet if I'm actually going to. Um, but there is, there may be visuals for this episode, you know, to see as well. So that's kind of why I'm mentioning the whole video thing. If you're listening, sometimes there is episodes where if you watch it on video, there is also visual stuff to go along with the episode. Uh, so if you listen, maybe check out the videos as well. Censored stuff or stuff that I do think will probably be censored will end up on Rumble. So if you follow us on YouTube, you may see less videos dropped. And when that happens, you know, if there's a week where on a Monday you don't see something for me dropped, odds are it's on Rumble and it was not, you know, probably good for YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, this topic I have seen on YouTube, so I'm assuming it's okay to be on YouTube. You know, most of this is like kind of like what we're saying public knowledge now, but for some reason then it wasn't, you know. So this will be on YouTube, but again, like I'm saying, uh, check out Rumble for censored stuff. And, uh, yeah, check out The Spiritual Gangsters as well. The link for her stuff will be in the bottom. I do have the link for some of The Spiritual Gangsters in my link tree, but almost all the links all the links are available on hers. So I will include uh, Teresa's link tree as well for all the links for The Spiritual Gangsters. Thank you. Yes. And uh, again, uh, you know, check out uh, social media. Check out Teresa's. Check out mine. If you want to see my shit posting and trigger posting, check out Instagram and TikTok. Uh, yeah. So check out the links in the bottom. And again, uh, thank you for all tuning in and checking this out. And that is the end of another NY Patriot show. Until the next one, everybody be well. Later.